Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is great to be back on this podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you for your continued support of the work that we do here on our study group about the Founding Fathers of the United States of America. And welcome back both citizens of the United States and citizens of countries elsewhere in the world who just uh, happen to be interested in this particular topic. Uh, believe me, the I believe the Founding Fathers would be very grateful to you folks who join this podcast from an international audience that you're uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to... Listen to the message and the voice that they they have coming all the way back from 1776 and that time period. I actually wanted to call back to something that we talked about in the previous episode. Uh, I mentioned something about the Constitution of the United States, and this really gets to—I mentioned a couple things. One of them I'll talk about at a later date. I I made this comment that— Anybody who stands against the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence is a secessionist. Uh, that is to say, they support secession. And that I, I still stand by that. I'll, I'll never not stand by that. It took me quite a few years, actually, to come to that conclusion, but that's basically what I feel. Uh, reasonable people can disagree with me, but that is what I believe to be 100% factual. Now... Like I said, I'll talk about that at a later date, but one of the things I talked about was, and that doesn't mean that you can't dis... What I'm trying to do is draw a contrast between people who stand clearly against the Constitution, the foundation that is the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, versus having some disagreement with some portion of it, specifically like the the multitude of amendments that came after. And I mentioned one of those myself, the 26th Amendment. I'm against it. I do not support it. So does that make me a secessionist? No, it does not. What's the difference? The difference is, again, I support the foundational structure of the United States of America. I support the general principle of a republic, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And I support the basic organizational structure, the three branches of government, for the most part, with some, with a few grievances about some of it. But for the most part, I do. And I definitely support the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution. So no, I'm not a secessionist because I disagree with the 26th Amendment and a couple of others. It's uh, it's perfectly fine to disagree with a few provisions in there. Nothing really wrong with that. And I, I cited my reasons last time for um, for disagreeing with it. Now, I am going to talk in this, uh, regarding the 26th Amendment and the voting age and all the rest of it, I'm going to talk in this episode a little bit about issues pertaining to ignorance and youth and things of that nature. The reasons why I don't really think... 18-year-olds should be voting. And this might, if there's anybody of that age group, anybody between the ages of like, I don't know, between 14 and 18, 19, 20 might be listening to this podcast, there might be a tendency for you to get offended by this concept that I have that you shouldn't be voting, not 14-year-old, but you know, 18, 19, 20. But bear with me on this episode as I take you through the logic on this, because, you know, it. It's very difficult to have perspective when you're 18 years old. Very, very difficult. And I know that because I was there. But I'll tell you what, you know, even though I disagree with the 26th Amendment, here's what I'm not going to do. I am not going to go down to the polling place and protest, that is to say the voting booth, in protest and chain myself to the door and refuse to move 
because I'm try- I'm standing in protest of the 26th Amendment, and I don't want any anybody under the age of 21 to vote. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to attack anybody who's under the age of 21 and tries to vote. I'm not going to do that either. I'm not going to try to take their rights away from them, because according to the Constitution, people under the age of 21 have a right to vote, down to the age of 18. I'm not going to try to prevent that. I'm not going to try to take their rights away from them, even though I disagree with it. I don't believe that people 18, 19, and 20, and honestly even 21, if I had my way of doing it, I would probably actually increase it to like 23 or something like that. But I totally... um or maybe even 25. I've, I've actually kicked that idea around a little bit. Like, what would I think the voting age should be? And honestly, definitely not 18, definitely not 19 or 20, 21 at a bare minimum, and then maybe as high as 25. But, and people out there are going to be going bonkers hearing me say that. There's some people anyway, not everybody. Some people out there are going to be losing their freaking mind. Like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? He wants to people to wait until 25 to vote. Yeah, I kind of do. And again, I say that having been that stupid child that I was back in my youth and boy i thought i i thought i knew everything i needed to do to go out and vote when i was 18 19 20 21 22 but, but i didn't as hard as i tried as much as i studied i didn't know crap really in the grand scheme of things and i knew more than almost anybody else i knew my age uh, frankly speaking most people my age at the time that i knew couldn't hang with me in a casual conversation about what was going on in politics at the time they just couldn't cuz i i knew a lot more than they did cuz i put in the time But I was still an idiot because, like I said, there's no substitute for wisdom. And wisdom, it it only comes in time. You cannot, there's no such thing as a wise 18-year-old. They just don't exist for the most part. And I think the Founding Fathers had some inkling that that was actual fact. But again, I'm not going to try to take away the rights of an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old who tries to go down and vote, okay? I'm not going to slash their tires in the parking lot. I'm not going to try to have legislation passed in the United States Congress to ban people 18, 19, and 20 from voting, which would be unconstitutional. It would be a violation of the 26th Amendment. You can pass legislation out of Congress all day long, but if it violates a provision in the Constitution, it is illegal, and I'm not going to try to do that. Now, riddle me this. When it comes to all the other rights in the Constitution, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface my, 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 this next set of remarks with this. I think everybody understands why I say this. Why I wouldn't chain myself to the voting booth and prevent people 18, 19, 20 from voting and protest. I wouldn't slash their tires in the parking lot. I wouldn't attack anybody who's under the age of 21 and per- try to, to try to prevent them from voting, so on and so forth. I think people get the idea. People are like, okay, Roman, that, well, that makes sense, Roman. Thank you for that. I mean, of course you wouldn't do that because they have a right to vote. We understand that. Okay. Well, if it's so bloody obvious that I shouldn't do that to prevent somebody who's 18 years old from voting. Why isn't it so obvious that people shouldn't do other things to violate other rights, or the same kind of thing to violate other rights? Why, Roman, whatever do you mean? What are you talking about? What other rights are you talking about? Well, just think about it. Look at the Bill of Rights. Are any of those rights under attack right now in the United States of America? Yes, they are. I could string together a logical argument that at least three or four of them are under nonstop assault all the time. I've talked about a few of those. And the people of the United States seem perfectly content in some cases. Not everybody, but a large number of people in the United States seem perfectly content with watching people try to violate those rights articulated in the Bill of Rights. 
These same people who would think I'm crazy if I tried to go down to a voting booth and chain myself to the door and refuse to let anybody in who's under the age of 21 because I don't support the 26th Amendment. People who think I would be crazy for doing that in some cases are some of the same people who would do that same exact thing to violate, to take away other rights articulated in the Constitution of the United States. And that's the difference between us and them. Those people are secessionists. They are no different, no different at all than secessionists from decades past. And I mean that when I say it. That's a controversial thing to say, but per usual, I really don't give a crap. It is what it is. As much as I hate the 26th Amendment, as much as I hate what it did, as much as I hate the consequences of it, and believe me, the consequences of the 26th Amendment are really nothing good. In my humble opinion. Again, reasonable people can disagree with me, but I don't think it's productive for a country, especially the United States, to allow stupid children to go down and vote. Yes, I said it. And I lumped myself into that category back when I was young. I, di I didn't at the time because it's hard to know you're stupid when you're stupid. And that's the problem with people who are 18 years old. They don't know they're stupid, but they are. More specifically, they're ignorant. I, I say stupid because I'm trying to be harsh. Sometimes I do that. But really, they're just ignorant. I was ignorant. Rare, rare is the day that I will stumble across an 18-year-old person who's not ignorant. And should they be voting? No, they shouldn't. But it's their right to vote according to that 26th Amendment. As much as it pains me to admit that, that's just the way that it is. So my message to anybody out there who is a secessionist or who aspires to be a secessionist, I would say that you should take the same stance that I do as it pertains to every other right in that Constitution. Do not, do not try to overthrow the Constitution of the United States of America and the Declaration of Independence. Because if you do, you're a secessionist. And that's not a good company of people to be in. Haven't we seen that kind of stuff before? Yes, we have. Respect the rights that people have. That's what we should do. Even if we disagree with those rights, respect it. Or get the heck out of this country at your earliest possible convenience because you do not belong here. You need to leave. Or you need to shut up and bite your frickin' tongue. And if you don't, you're a secessionist. That's my argument. Now, I would be curious if anybody agrees or disagrees with me on that sentiment. If you happen to be a user of Apple Podcasts, if that's how you're listening to this podcast, I would uh, I would ask you to go leave a review on the podcast and let me know if you agree or disagree with my sentiments here. Because uh, I would I would really be curious to know because I, I know people in my my daily life who both agree and disagree with me on this. Some people agree and some people disagree. I've heard both sides of it. Frankly speaking, the people who disagree with me can't can't string together a logical argument. I'm just going to be honest with you. They can't because they don't have a logical argument to stand on. Not on that issue. They don't on other issues. They disagree with me on. They do, but not this one. So if somebody thinks they can string together a coherent argument in opposition to what I'm saying, I'd love to hear it. And I'm dead serious about that. If I if you leave a review on the podcast about that, I will be uh, very willing to to read that on on an episode of the podcast and, and bring in a counter argument to that. We can't we can disagree with certain provisions in the United States Constitution. These rights that people have. You can disagree with the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, I suppose, if you want to. But if you try to go out there and take that right away from people illegally. It really is a borderline or, or, or maybe beyond a borderline criminal act. It really is. And you, you, you really need to stop. 
because violating people's rights and trying to harm people is not exactly what I would describe as a good thing to do with your with your free time. Um, some people disagree with me, but those are very problematic people. To be honest with you. So that's what I have to say about that. Just to kind of revisit that topic, I didn't have I didn't have enough time really to to thread that out on the previous episode of the podcast. But I thought about it and I was like, well, I ought to I ought to add to that and expand upon it. So we have a little bit longer than normal introduction on the podcast today. It's going to be really, for lack of a better way, putting a little more like a two-part podcast episode, I guess. Introduction is going to be this this topic here that we just talked about, the 26th Amendment, and, and how I disagree with it. But again, I would never try to usurp the Constitution and take people's rights away from them. I would never do that. So if you have people around you who are like that, if you have people around you who are trying, or think they should, or think somebody has a right including Congress. By the way, Congress has no right to take the to take the to take the rights of the people away from them. They have no right. I mean, short of amending the Constitution of the United States, you can't take these rights away from people. You just can't. Uh, I've mentioned it before. This the, the First Amendment is under assault. The Second Amendment is under assault. The the Eighth Amendment is under assault. Probably the Fourth and Fifth at various times. It kind of ebbs and flows a little bit with the, with those, but you get the idea. And Congress has no right to take those rights away from people. The president of the United States has no right to take those rights away from people. They have no legal authority to do so, nor do the people, nor do the state legislatures. They have no right. They have no legal authority. But that doesn't stop them from trying, does it? Secessionists, every single one of them. And it's dangerous ground, because what did secession lead to last time? It led to a war. Is that what we want? Is that where we want to go? And the answer to the question is no, we don't. So what do you say we stop being children? Those people who are, I'm not. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are not children, but a lot of people out there in the world are children. So if you know anybody like that, you might try to instruct them. Perhaps in the same way that I did, maybe there's some provision of the Constitution you disagree with, and maybe you can draw that contrast with them and say, "Hey, I disagree with this provision of the contrast, but uh, or excuse me, this provision of the Constitution, but I'm not about, I'm not about to go down there, go out and try to take people's rights away from them just because I disagree." That's not how this works. The Constitution is supposed to be practically written in stone. The only reason I would I would stop short of saying it's written in stone is because it can be amended. But anyway, in the second part of this podcast episode today, we're going to talk a little bit about Benjamin Franklin. I'm going to cover some letters that talk about Dr. Benjamin Franklin in some regard. It's and I I, I pulled these letters previously and then skipped them and then. Tried to figure out, you know, when am I going to roll them in and now's the time. Because I needed something that was a little bit shorter to roll into a two-part episode and this is a perfect opportunity for me to do that. So in the next section of the podcast, we're going to talk about our good friend, the wise old man, Dr. Benjamin Franklin. Let's do that right now. All right, second part of the podcast. Let's do this. Dr. Benjamin Franklin, we're going to read a letter written to Dr. Benjamin Franklin from William Franklin. That would be his son, written on December the 24th of 1774. These letters that I'm going to read you here today are really going to talk about Dr. Franklin, but also provide some minimum kind of context around what was going on at the time. So let's get into this. We're going to read a portion of this letter, and I quote, It gives me great pleasure to find that you have so perfect an enjoyment of that greatest of blessings, health. But I cannot help being concerned to find that Notwithstanding, you are sensible that you cannot in the course of nature long expect the, the countenance of it, yet you postpone your return to your family. If there was any prospect of your being able to bring the people in power 
to your way of thinking, or of those your way of thinking being brought into power, I should not think so much of your stay. But as you have had, by this time, pretty strong proofs that neither can be reasonably expected, and that you are looked upon with an evil eye in that country, and are in no small danger of being brought into trouble for your political conduct, you had certainly better return while you are able to bear the fatigues of the voyage to a country where the people revere you and are inclined to pay a deference to your opinions. I wonder none of them, as you say, requested your attendance at the late Congress, for I heard from all quarters that your return was ardently wished for at that time, and I have since heard it lamented by many that you were not at that meeting. As they imagined, had you been there you would have framed some plan for an accommodation of our differences that would have met with the approbation of a majority of the delegates, though it would not have coincided with the deep designs of those who influenced that majority. However mad you may think the measures of the ministry are, yet I trust you have candor enough to acknowledge that we are no ways behind hand with them in instances of madness on this side of the water. However, it is, disagree it is a disagreeable subject and I'll drop it, end quote. So he's looked upon with an evil eye. Did you catch that? I'll read that again, quote, that you are looked upon with an evil eye in that country and are in no small danger of being brought into trouble for your political conduct, end quote. Does that sound familiar? Riddle me this. Do you suspect that a great many of the American people are looked upon with an evil eye from... Washington, D.C. I would argue that that's probably accurate. Just putting it out there. People can disagree, and if you, if you disagree, just let me know. Leave a review on the podcast and say, hey, I disagree with you on this, and this is why. Okay. Now, I say that having engaged with those people. I mean, I'm not saying this from a position of ignorance. I say that having engaged with those people for many, many years. I bring a breadth of experience talking and working with those people to what I just said. And I believe what I'm saying here to be 100% accurate. I just thought I'd put it out there. Because, again, it's it's one of those things. It's And I've, I've mentioned this before, that the United States Congress today behaves much more like the British Parliament of 1775 than it does the, the, United, the, the, the Continental Congress of 1775. But, yes, you know, Franklin was in some circles, wearing out his welcome in Britain. This is not the first time that we've heard rumblings that Dr. Franklin may be in danger. Quote, And are in no small danger of being brought into trouble for your political conduct. You had certainly better return. End quote. We've heard that before in some of these letters uh, written to and from Dr. Benjamin Franklin. He, uh, there does seem to be a consensus here that he was in danger. This was not an easy thing that Dr. Franklin was doing. And there, there's, there's a little bit of a story there that Dr. Franklin was none too happy with how he was treated in some cases when he was over there in Great Britain, which is partially probably why he came back much more resolved to securing the rights of the American colonists than ever before. And this part here where, where William Franklin says... Quote, if there was any prospect of your being able to bring the people in power to your way of thinking, or of those of your way of thinking being brought into power, end quote. And continuing on, quote, neither can be reasonably expected, end quote. So neither can be reasonably expected. In other words, neither of those positive outcomes are expected. So he believes that Dr. Franklin was pushing against a brick wall. 
the tyrant was stuck in his ways, drunk on power, and the tyrant was not going to rehab. It's not going to happen. And if you see things like that in the central power of any given country, that's a problem. Even though a better solution to these problems is staring the king right in the face. We keep talking about this reconciliation that the Founding Fathers were trying for. It's right there, always available, and King George and the Parliament, most of it anyway, just completely crapped all over it. You know, arrogance runs deep in the central power of every country in the world. It always has. Not always this bad, but it always does. They think they're the geniuses. They think they're the, the, the these people think that they they really do run the world and that they know best. And it's it, most of it is delusion. And he talks at the end of the letter here, towards the end of the letter, about how he's he's um, he believes that Dr. Franklin would be very much welcome back in the United States. Quote, I heard from all quarters that your return was ardently wished for at that time. And I have since heard it lamented by many that you were not at that meeting, end quote. William Franklin seems to have uh, the pulse of the colonies. He seems, to, uh, he seems to understand that Dr. Franklin would be very much welcome in the Congress, and I believe that he would. Again, remember, Dr. Franklin was world famous. He was one of the few world famous American colonists at the time, known all over the place for the most, I mean, for the time, I mean, considering there was no telephones, no telegraphs, no internet, I mean, this guy was known all over the place. Not everywhere, obviously, but in, in many places in Europe, he was, because uh, of his uh, invention, his, his genius for invention, and his wisdom. So, of course, you want a guy like that in the Congress. I sure would. And thank goodness Dr. Franklin did make it back, and he was able to participate greatly in the formation of the United States of America. Without him, I, I worry about whether or not the United States of America ever would have been a thing. Let's continue on. Uh, I got another letter, letter written to Benjamin Franklin from a Jonathan Shipley on January the 12th of 1775. Quote, I think as you do that the highest pitch of human honor is the approbation of a free and virtuous people. I have had much more of it than falls on my share, but that pleasure is tempered as it ought to be with a proper sense of my own unworthiness. But I can only be considered by them as a distant, unconnected well-wisher. Your name will justly be revered by them as their first patriot, whose abilities have served and defended their country, and as their first philosopher, who has taught and enlightened America. End quote. You see what I mean? The wise old man. This guy really pays a great tribute to Dr. Franklin in just that one paragraph. It's fantastic. I mean, listen to that. Quote, Your name will justly be revered by them as their first patriot, whose abilities have served and defended their country, and as their first philosopher who has taught and enlightened America. End quote. Well said by Jonathan Shipley. Very, very well said. I really appreciate those sentiments. I feel the same way. And that, that's fascinating. The first patriot. And we haven't mentioned this in some time. I used to point this out on on several instances where it came up. This line right here, quote, a free and virtuous people, end quote. Those two things go together. The Founding Fathers, again, this is yet another appearance of that statement about virtue and freedom and so on and so forth. The Founding Fathers clearly believed that freedom and virtue go hand in hand. It's almost as if you cannot have the one without the other. And again, to understand what virtue means here, you have to understand what the Founding Fathers meant when they said it. Not when somebody says it today, but when the found, but what what did the founding fathers mean when they said it? That's the virtue that you should investigate 
when you want to understand what are they talking about. You can have a free people, but they won't be free long if they don't have virtue. Virtue is the great guardian of freedom. It has a, a self-policing effect to things. And I would suggest you keep a mind toward that. You know, and this, this concept of virtue, again, this is not something that they made up on the fly. This concept of virtue that they speak of here was written down a few thousand years ago. And there's something to be said for that. Nowadays, people seem to want to just make up virtue as they go along. It changes with the wind. And that is the very definition of chaos, instability. It's like building your house on the sand. It's not going to stand for very long. It shifts too much. It moves too much. And all too soon, it'll collapse. Let us continue on. Quote, I thank you most cordially for the copy of the petition to the king, which I approve and admire. They have set forth their grievances with a serious and manly decency, in the very language which a free people ought to use to their sovereign. But we, I suppose, shall advise his majesty to support the legislative authority of the mother country. Yet I am persuaded that the government at present would be very glad of a reconciliation. And if a method could be contrived to save their honor, I doubt not, but they would come down to your terms. End quote. This actually takes me back to that discussion in the first portion of the podcast. Quote, They have set forth their grievances with a serious and manly decency in the very language which a free people ought to use to their sovereign. End quote. In other words, they organized themselves into a certainly gentlemanly organization, the United States Congress, a deliberative body meant to properly articulate in, in, as, in as clear a terms as possible and in, a, in as gentle way as possible the various grievances and, pro, and, and, and arguments that the American colonists had against the, the various tyrannical edicts coming out of the British Parliament. A manly decency, a serious and manly decency, he says and a very language which a free people ought to use to their sovereign. Compare and contrast that with how some arguments against certain certain things in the public sphere, constitutional issues, things of that nature, um, local issues, legislative issues, things of that nature. You know, in recent times, and recent, I mean, going back, honestly, some, in some cases, you know, 20 years or so, instead of there being a more serious and manly decency in the very language which a free people ought to use to their sovereign. Not that we have a sovereign today, we don't, thank goodness, but sometimes when people are trying to argue their point in the United States today, it strikes a more familiar chord with insanity, anarchy, and chaos. Bizarre, incoherent protests in the streets, or whatever. I mean, and on, on, it, and again, this is a bipartisan thing. This really isn't about one side or the other. It's about a particular group of people. And that group of people, honestly, in some cases they fall on one side, in some cases they fall on the other side, and in some cases they don't really fall on any particular side at all. I'm not being partisan when I say this. What I'm trying to say is, how is it we have a problem making a coherent argument today? And there, there are people who don't seem to be able to behave like a, a proper citizen should behave. What's the situation there? And I think it has something to do with that 26th Amendment. Why, why Raymond, whatever do you mean? Well, here's the thing. When you, when you tell people when they're 18 years old that they actually have a political opinion that matters, and they don't, by the way. And again, that's contrary. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you say that people who are 18 years old don't have a political opinion that matters? Well, honestly, that's just my opinion. You can disagree with me if you want to. That's the beautiful thing about opinions. We have a right to have them in this country, even if it's hate speech, even if it offends somebody's delicate sensibilities. 
We have a right to have opinions in this country, and it's always been that way, and it always should be that way. And the day it's not that way, this country is doomed. But that's an argument for another day. But my opinion clearly is that people who are 18 years of, of age have, have no opinion worthwhile of a political nature. They really don't. And when we tell people that they do have an opinion that matters when they're 18, and they, they, they can go out and vote when they're basically an ignorant child, we force them into this public discourse at such a young age, and we tell them to speak up and make their voice heard instead of telling them to shut up and listen and learn. Read books. Study the wise men that came before you. Understand their logic. You don't have to agree with it, but understand it. Understand their logic. Understand their wisdom. Understand their arguments. Understand what they did. Shut up and read the books. Read these letters, like from Benjamin Franklin, the wise old man. Everybody in this country would do well to when they're when they're 16, 17 years old and younger and 18. Everybody in this country would do well to just shut the heck up and open their ears and listen instead of walking out blindly into the public discourse, into the voting booth and spouting off an ignorant voice that frankly speaking has no clue what it's talking about. And when you do that, I think you stunt their growth. When you tell these children these 18-year-old children, that they have an opinion that matters of a political nature, you are stunting their growth. You are telling them to open their mouth and close their ears. This is stupid. This is how countries commit suicide. It's like the freaking Lord of the Flies out there. And when I look at the 26th Amendment, that's what I see. I don't see a bunch of 18-year-olds in the Vietnam War who wanted to vote. I understand that. I understand the argument. I get it. I do. Some people are thinking, oh my gosh, Roman, you don't understand. You don't understand what it was like and the arguments behind it, and you don't understand why it was done and blah, 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 blah. No, believe me, I understand it better than most. I really, truly do. But what I'm trying to say is whatever grievance it is that those people had, it's not worth stunting the growth of generations of American citizens and telling the young people of this country to open their mouths and shut their ears and stop listening. Because that's what we've done. Now, you could say that, oh my gosh, Roman, you're, you're wrong about that. The 26th Amendment has had only positive consequences. Really? You should take a long, hard look at this country and tell me. Tell me that you really believe that. And listen, listen to these children spout off some of the most stupid crap I've ever heard in my life with confidence. Like they, like they're, like they think they're geniuses or something. They think, they, th they basically think they are Benjamin Franklin. They think they're the wise old man in the room. Have you ever listened to an 18-year-old child who thinks that they're the wise old man in the room? Because I have. And it sounds like stupidity on wheels. And that is part, of the def is part of what defines the United States of America in 2022. And it's been that way my whole life, for the most part. It took me a long time to see it. But once the blinders were off, it became painfully obvious to me. Yes, I am going on a little bit of a rant here. But again, I, I couldn't help but notice... And connect this 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 line from this letter with that sentiment that I had about the 26th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. But again, I'm not going to try to take anybody's voting rights away from them. 
Now, I, I, I may advocate for the repeal of the, of the 26th Amendment. I may say that it was a stupid idea. I understand the motivations behind it. There's often good motivations behind things. You know, I don't think the motivations behind the 26th Amendment were bad. I just think, you know, people really ought to think a little bit harder about these things before they actually do it. And instead of reacting in an emotional way about something and getting all worked up about and, and letting, you know, passion kind of rule the day, actually sit back, think about it logically, and, and think 10 moves ahead. Think about the consequences of what it is that you're about ready to do. And I would say that to anybody who's trying to basically illegally repeal the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, which is currently underway. How dare you, Roman? How dare you say that the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America is currently under an attempted repeal illegally? Well, it's the truth. I mean, you can, you can disagree with me on that if you want to, I suppose. But I mean, what is what is it with all this censorship? What is it with that? What is it with all this talk about, oh, you can't you can't say hate speech? And I know it's uncomfortable to listen to. I got it. Believe me. I listen to some crap in this country that makes my ears bleed, but it's still free speech. That's the whole point. It's like that 26th Amendment. I can't stand to look at that thing. And it makes my blood boil every time election season comes around, and I know that there's 18, 19, and 20-year-olds who are actually voting in this country. It makes my blood boil. But it's their right to do it according to the Constitution of the United States of America. And that used to mean something. People are very selective about what they support in that Constitution. Very selective. I support the 26th Amendment while it's there. I want it repealed like yesterday. But while it's there, I support it. It's the law. And to anybody out there who's who's like, oh yeah, sure, I support the 26th Amendment, but I don't support the first. And I'm, I'm going to try to illegally repeal it by passing legislation in Congress. Not an amendment. Legislation. Which is illegal, by the way. I'm going to try to do it that way. Or the Second Amendment. No, I don't support that. I'm going to try to illegally repeal it in the in the Congress by passing legislation. Really? No, but by God, you support the 26th Amendment and a few others. That's interesting. Very selective. Very selective. Now you know why. And maybe you can start to understand why I call these people secessionists. I could use harsher terms for those people, but I'm not going to. But we got to get back to what's articulated in this letter. And in all, in most of these letters, we got to get back to it. You know, not all these letters. There's some stuff in these letters I'm going to point out to you folks in the future that are that are problematic, and you're going to know why when I read it. But there's so much of this stuff that is good. Like like this line here, quote, Yet I am persuaded that government at present would be very glad of a reconciliation, and if any method could be contrived to save their honor, I doubt not but they would come to your down to your terms, end quote. That's a good thing. It's good to have reconciliation. Now, this guy did, this guy, frankly speaking, was wrong. There wasn't going to be any reconciliation, and he was wrong about the government. He says here, quote, government at present would be very glad of a reconciliation, end quote. No, it wouldn't. The government of Great Britain wouldn't be glad of a reconciliation. They didn't give a crap. But the fact that the Founding Fathers were trying to reconcile was a good thing. The fact that they were doing it in the, in the proper way, quote, They have set forth their grievances with a serious and manly decency in the very language which a free people ought to use to their sovereign, end quote. And they did it as the following, quote, Of a free and virtuous people, end quote. And they were led by people who were known as, quote, their first patriot, whose abilities have served and defended their country, and as their first philosopher, who has taught and enlightened America, end quote. Can't we get back to that? Or is it going to continue to be Lord of the Flies out there? And if you're not familiar with the, the reference to Lord of the Flies, 
Look it up. It's very interesting. I think there was actually a movie made. I vaguely recall it was a book originally, but I think there was actually a movie made about it too. So there, they might be able to check out a movie if you're if you don't uh, don't have a copy of the book or anything. But believe me, you know, I, I really do think that this Twenty Sixth Amendment thing was the United States marching towards Lord of the Flies. I, I really do believe that. I mean, con- and considering the lack of parenting in this country as it pertains to the study of history and philosophy. I, I would say that that's probably more accurate than not, for sure. Uh, parent, parents have, for the most part, in, in the United States, and I think, honestly, around the world, just completely written off this concept of studying history. I'm actually going to do a podcast episode a little bit later on about that very, very thing, that phenomenon, and why it happens and how it happened that way. But I'll conclude this episode of the podcast with this. Dr. Benjamin Franklin. Reading these letters, you definitely get the, the idea that he was a much revered individual, as well he should be at least in in the public discourse, as far as his uh, facility with invention, wisdom, politics, all all these things. This is where Benjamin Franklin shined for the most part. And I really really do believe without Benjamin Franklin, it's it's hard to think of a way that this country is actually a thing today, the United States of America. And certainly when you take these people in the aggregate, John Adams, Samuel Adams, General Washington, Dr. Franklin, Patrick Henry, guys like that. It is you. You remove just that group of guys from the equation, and Thomas Jefferson too. You remove just that group of guys from the equation. I really do not believe at all that the United States ever, ever would have been a thing. That's a small group of guys, but they were right there at the right moment, and they knew what kind of government a free and virtuous people needed to have, and it begins to be articulated in the Declaration of Independence, and continues on in the Constitution of the United States of America today. And if we want those 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds to actually be able to do their job when they go out and vote, they have to learn this history. That's partly why this podcast is here. And if there is anybody that age listening to this podcast, if you take offense to me referring to people in that age group as ignorant or stupid, again, stupid is harsh. They're, They're not stupid, but ignorant, definitely. But that's normal. I'm not trying to insult anybody. It's just normal. I was that way when I was that age. And what did I do with my time? I read history most of the time. I studied history a great deal of the time. I studied politics a great a great deal of the time as well. And I was still ignorant. It took years for me. I remember when I was 19 years old, I read this book on the Vietnam War. It was like almost a thousand pages long. Now, why did I do that? Not many 19-year-olds fresh out of high school are doing that. Most of them are going to keg parties and playing beer pong. I was sitting down in the evening times reading a book on Vietnam because I knew that I was ignorant at the time. I mean, somewhere deep down, I knew it. I knew I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I would never say it. I didn't want to admit it, but that's the way that it was. And that's what I'm trying to drive home to people out there. So if if you are that age, if you're listening to this podcast and you're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, understand I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just telling the truth. And it's a hard truth to say to yourself. Nobody wants to say that they're ignorant. Because what? It makes you look bad, right? But it doesn't. It's just, it's, if, we all, if we're all honest with ourselves, everybody in that age group, for the most part, is ignorant. It's almost impossible not to be, unless you're some kind of genius who literally idled away every hour of your life studying history, philosophy, and religion, and all these things. It's, it's almost impossible to not be ignorant. That's just the way that it is. Live with it. Deal with it. Grow up. That's why we grow up. We grow up from being ignorant to not ignorant. Problem is, some people never grow up. Now, when I was reading that book on the Vietnam War, I was acquiring wisdom. And that book on the Vietnam War was written by somebody who was there, not by some Monday morning quarterback. And the book was largely regarded 
as being a well-written account of what transpired during Vietnam. That is to say, highly regarded by the people who were there. I'm sure there were some exceptions, but I tried to get good material to study that topic. And why the Vietnam War? Because when I was when I was a kid, that was the last that that was the big problematic war that the United States fought. It was still there, kind of in the background of the United States. That Vietnam War was still very present. This was before Afghanistan and Iraq. This was before those wars happened. When I was reading that book, so Vietnam was was very important to study, to learn from. Don't want to just read about the good stuff. You want to read about the bad stuff, the stuff that didn't go quite right, didn't go according to plan, because that's where a lot of learning is done. And until you do that learning, until you spend the time, you're ignorant. But good news, listening to podcasts is a very easy way to not be ignorant anymore. I know a lot of folks who listen to this podcast, I'm sure listen to other history podcasts, news podcasts, political podcasts, and that's a fantastic thing. You know, you're you're acquiring wisdom or trying to acquire wisdom every time you do that. If they're good podcasts, now there's some crap podcasts out there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of crap podcasts out there, but there's a lot of really good ones too. And I try to make this podcast a mechanism by which, you know, People who want to expand their knowledge about the Founding Fathers without having to take all the time to do it, without having to read a thousand pages of a book or something like that, can actually do it while on their drive to work, on their drive back from work, and so on and so forth. And we can have a discussion about this. Because back when I was, you know, back when I, I, I left high school, it was not really much of anything in the way of podcasts. Not really. A little bit of that, you know, kind of start, kind of sort of starting up, but not a lot of it. And so I hope people take this, um, podcast for what it is. It's really a blunt, direct commentary on how valuable what the Founding Fathers have to say is. How, how valuable is it what the Founding Fathers were trying to communicate? And the answer is very valuable. It helps to, it helps to bring that wisdom into, uh, into our minds and expand our knowledge such that we can actually be better citizens today. Because I see the difference in myself. You know, all the years that I spent reading this material— uh, from John Adams and George Washington, Benjamin Franklin and whatnot, I noticed, I noticed the difference that it made in my life. You know, I went from being that ignorant um, kid from, from out of high school, I went from being that to being a different kind of person, somebody who understands the bigger picture, at least to some degree. May not be perfect, but to some degree. And I, I really can't stress enough the value of what the Founding Fathers wrote. It, it is incredibly valuable, which is why I, I take the time to do this podcast, and I hope that you find some, some of that value in it as well. Because I tell you what, in a country, you know, if, if we're going to have a country, you know, where people 18, 19, and 20 are voting, we better have a way to actually teach them something about what the Founding Fathers actually intended and the way they built the country. And it can be hard. And if you know anybody, you know, in that age group, it can be hard to convince them to open their ears and listen. Especially if they've got to read, you know, like I did a book on the Vietnam War that's a thousand pages long. But good news, like with the Founding Fathers here, they don't have to put in all the work to get the letters from the Founding Fathers. It's right here on this podcast. And we now have 68 episodes, and there's going to be many more, hopefully, if we continue. And I, and I certainly intend to continue. There's going to be many more episodes, and all this is going to save—it's going to save people a lot of time and a lot of work digging up these letters. You don't have to do it. Uh, we're going to bring it right to you on the podcast. And so I hope you enjoy this episode as harsh as it is, a, a harsh commentary on the uh, the Lord of the Flies situation with the um, the United States of America today. And we've really let children kind of run away with themselves and, and think that they're, they're, you know, the wise old man in the room. 
and we and the, like I said, the Twenty Sixth Amendment I think has something to do with that. And we, if we're going to have a a Lord of the Flies situation like with the Twenty Sixth Amendment, then we have to make sure that people are educated. We have to, not just about math and science, but about the things that make government work, uh, the things that inform people about the relationship between government and people. And there's nobody better than the founding fathers of the United States. Nobody. I'm convinced of that. So I hope you'll join me next time on the Letters from Our Founding Fathers podcast as we continue our discussion. I've got a really good episode planned for uh, for next uh, next time around. Uh, it's, well, it's either going to be the next episode or the one after that, but it's going to be a really good one. It's got it's going to be more another basically another part of the Benjamin Franklin series, letters written from Benjamin Franklin. I think they're really good. So look forward to that. And until then, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.